Okay. Um, this um, section we're going to cover today is the end of the book of Colossians. And there was rejoicing throughout the land. Uh, the, the people all said, Amen. Now, I want to do something because of what time it is. I want to focus on um, verses 2 through 6 primarily. Uh, but let's read Colossians 4, verses 2 through 18, and then I'm going to do the last part first uh, as sort of an introduction and then back up and cover those uh, verses. So, uh, Colossians 4, uh, verses 2 through 18. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I also, sorry, for which I have also been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. There are, uh, sorry, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are... the. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. And when this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry that you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. This is the finale. This is Paul wrapping things up in this brief letter that he sent uh, to this church, which is in this region of of modern-day Turkey, right close to these other two cities, this uh, small city and these churches there. This is the finale. Uh, Paul wrote with something in mind. He wrote because of issues in this church. He was writing to protect and strengthen and instruct and direct and grow the church in faithfulness to Christ uh, and ensure that the church is more focused on Christ 
in every way possible, intellectually, theologically, spiritually, emotionally, uh, relationally, in our conduct, our speech, in our homes, our work. Now I'm saying our, because he was writing to that church, but he was writing to us too. In the, in the plan of God, in the economy of God, he knew he's inspiring him to write this word that's going to be for the church for 2,000 years and however long until Jesus comes back. Um, to, he, he wants us focused on Christ in our work, in our relationship with God and one another. Um, as we'll see, you know, currently looking at this, the people outside the church as well. Paul has sounded the alarm about various things that distracted them and that detracted from the new life that they were to receive in Christ. He finishes with a list in here, verses 7 through 18, a list of personal connecting points, which is ironic because he had never seen these people face to face. He didn't have, to this point, a personal relationship with them. He hadn't met them. But some of his co-workers had, and some of the people he was standing with had, and he's writing to them because in Christ... He's saying, we are the family of God, the brothers and sisters, the people of God, the church of God. It is a cool thing. I've met people at different times in places, I haven't traveled extensively, but in places far from here, and people who've come here from far away, who are believers, and there is an automatic fellowship. I don't mean I get along great with everybody in the body of Christ from far and away, but there's some kind of a connecting point that, oh, you have responded to the offer of salvation in Christ too. There is something that we are one in the Spirit. There really is a fellowship that's, that's deeper. I, the guy that led me to Christ, I remember him saying, there are people that I've just met in Christ who are closer than my natural family. I know that feeling. You know, I, I speak with, with my own family, those that haven't received Christ, and there are places we can't go in fellowship that I can go with you. And that I can go with believers that I've met for the first time. There's something about that. And he's saying to people he's never met, we are one in the spirit. There's something. And, and this, you're not alone. He's telling them you've been through some things. He's, he's written specifically because of some of the things they're going through. He's written to them to help them in their struggles. And I think it's inferred in there, you're going to face more of them. Right? We all know we're, we're not living in la-la land where we think from here on out we can coast. No, there's going to be more struggles. But he's writing to them and saying, you're not alone. This person, this fellow slave, this bond servant, this beloved brother, this faithful worker in Christ. You know, he, he writes these things. All these people are sending their greetings, praying earnestly for you, standing with you. You know, this guy, he mentions... Onesimus, that was last week I talked about uh, a, a slave, a runaway slave who got saved. That's the guy. Onesimus is the slave. So he's writing to them saying, he's one of your number. He's one of you guys. And he, he says, this guy's going to come and tell you about what's happening with us here. This guy's now, a, a, a what does he call him? A beloved brother. Faithful and beloved brother. This guy. And 
There are all these people. Do you know, when you think of something like this, you've got uh, one thread to hold on something like a button or something. <coughs> one little thread is weak. So what happens? You run that through so that there are several of them, and what happens? It's strong. It holds. Because there are several, you know, one thread is pretty weak. It can snap pretty easily. But you add a few more, add a few more. Yeah, I heard a story a couple of years ago about a man that broke out of prison and let himself down on a rope that he made out of dental floss. <laughs> he added pieces of dental floss, kept adding them, adding them, adding them. And I mean, that stuff's pretty strong. And, you know... A couple other guys tried it and died because they only had one. No, that's not true. He's adding that, adding that. And you look at a piece of rope, and it's a bunch of small strands. And you add enough of those, and all of a sudden, they've got it holding ships in the harbor. You know, and some of that rope that's this thick, and it's holding tons and tons and tons. We are in a body that is many, many, many thousands and millions of tiny strands. And you think, man, I'm weak. Yeah, but you're part of a heavy rope made from a lot of other tiny strands. You're not alone. You're not alone. There are a lot of us. Okay, so he comes to the end of this. He's, Paul is saying, at the end of it all, you're not alone. Grace be with you. In the, in the final tally, here's the instruction. Here's my exhortation. Here's some help. Here are all these. Here's a right thinking. But in the final tally, I've got to hand you over to the grace of God. Right? We, we know it with, uh, with people that we love. You can stand with them. But in the final tally, you can't live their life for them. You hand them over to the grace of God. The grace of God be with you. I, I like that. And I know Paul is not just, he's not just saying something empty. God's grace, like, you know, again, I don't mean this as a pet peeve, but God bless you. That is a powerful thing to say. But it can also just be trite. That, you know, like, hey, what's up? Yeah, it can just be a, a filler word. But it doesn't have to be grace to you. Amen. Speaking it like I mean it. I'm thinking of God. And you know you know, when people use the name of Jesus in vain, they are using it as a filler word. Oh, for Christ's sake. And I hear that and I'm thinking, Christ, oh, I'm hearing angels singing him on the throne, the victor of all eternity. When I hear, oh, Jesus Christ. And they're just thinking, you know, it could be any expletive. But for me, I'm thinking right away, the one who forgave my sins, died on the cross for me, saved my soul. I really, and my dad was a bad one for that all of his life. He used the name of Jesus, and after I got saved, it's like, oh man, you know, a few times dad. Like, and I know that he wasn't even thinking of it out of the abundance of the heart. It's just to him, that was just like, you know. He'd throw that one around. You know, he, I'd, I'd rather hear him drop the F-bomb. Which he didn't, because to him, Jesus was acceptable to throw around. But the grace of God be with you. It isn't a filler word. He really means it. Let's mean it. Let's speak grace over one another. Amen? Amen. Let's be grace. So, back to this part. Verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer. 
He has just finished these instructions to them saying, lay aside the old self, put on the new self, these attributes that are attributes of Christ, uh, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and above all, love. He says, put these on. Then he gives instructions to wives, to husbands, to fathers, to children, to slaves, to masters. And then he comes here to everybody, to you believers, all of you, in the church, devote yourselves to prayer. Amen. De- devote. Get, what is it to devote yourself? You say, oh, I'm devoted. To, uh, it means I've given my full attention and my zealous effort. I'm devoted to something. Isn't You know, someone who's devoted to their craft. Oh, that person is an excellent photographer. They're devoted to their craft. They know about lighting. They know about balance in a photo. They know these things and they, they've devoted themselves to learning as much as they can about it to make it good. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Again, in the final tally, you've got these instructions, you've got this, you've got that. In the final tally, Paul is saying, devote yourselves to prayer. I heard many years ago that Orson Welles, how many have heard of Orson Welles? Actor from a generation past. Orson Welles said, I don't pray because I don't want to bore God. And I know that sounds kind of like, oh, of course, because God knows everything already. Why would I bore him? But it's a misconception about what prayer is. If, If prayer is just coming and telling God what I need, he does already know. If prayer is just coming and telling God what I want him to do, Again, he already knows all of these things. But prayer, somebody defined it as keeping company with God. Keeping company with him. Part of that is, like when I keep company with Rose, part of it is saying, this is what I would want. Part of it is, this is what I'm dreaming about that I would like to accomplish. Part of it is just being together, laughing together, crying together, grieving together, uh, celebrating together, being together, hanging out. As I said before, if, if that is like prayer, which it is, God, in one sense, can't get enough of it. He can't get enough of you. He actually wants to keep company with you. It's not like, well, Rihanna, didn't we already have an hour earlier today? You're back. Like, what, do you, what do you need now? You know? <laughs> Thank God he's not like that. He wants to keep company with us. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah, let's be together again. Some more. Devote yourselves to being with him, to keeping company with God. Be devoted. Pursue him and time with him, pursue it zealously. Now, how many here would say it's not always in you to pursue God zealously? How many here would say, sometimes I want to do pretty much anything but? Oh, yeah, it's like I've got things to do. Some time in prayer. I really want to get to that and get it done. I heard the pastor of I think it's still the largest church in the world, a man in South Korea. Uh, he's changed his name, but his name used to be Yonggi Cho. I think now it's David Yonggi Cho. Um, his church was 
probably 30 years ago, it was already half a million people or three quarters of a million people or something like that. Um, and someone said, when they found out that he prays something like three hours a day, how do you spend, with all your responsibilities, how do you spend three hours a day in prayer? And it was, his response was something like, with all those responsibilities, how could I possibly get those things done without God? Uh, you know, kind of like Claudia's testimony. See how God provides. It's like there's wind in the sails to move me forward. If God's not, if that wind isn't blowing, then I'm sort of stuck in one place. But I, So I need to be in prayer for God to send this thing moving. But there are times where it does feel like the wind is not blowing. Amen? You're in prayer, and it's kind of like... Uh. So he adds this thing. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. Alert, awake, watchful. The word actually means watchful like a watchman at an old... Um, you know, walled city who would watch to make sure nobody is attacking. That's what it's like. He's like, he's constantly looking, keeping alert in prayer with an attitude of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving helps to take some of the, uh, the mundane uh, feeling out of it. Where it's like, okay, how do you get that going? I'm, I'm here in prayer again. God, I'm not really sure what to pray about. I, I prayed everything I could. I poured myself into it. I prayed everything I could. And it took about three and a half minutes. And now what? And it's like, give thanks to God. Something stirs up. God, I want to thank you. Begin to recount what God has done in your life. And you begin. I had a time... A, a couple of years before uh, Rose and I got married, where I went through a, just a season of discouragement. And I, and partly because I wasn't married, and I was, <laughs> I was in my prayer room one day, and uh, I was just like, okay, how do I kind of, God, I'm feeling kind of bored with my own prayer life. And, you know, I, I think, you know, everybody goes through that. Uh, at some time where it's like, and I remembered this story that my pastor in Edmonton had preached before where David has, they go out and they do a raid. This is before he's king. And he's got this band of 600 guys and they're like a mighty, you know, uh, force. And they go out and they would, you know, raid Israel's enemies and do this kind of thing. And they come back and while they were out, Somebody had come and raided their camp, taken away their wives, taken away all their stuff, and they come back, and now, you know, they're grieved because their families are all gone, their kids, their goods, their wives, everything like this. But also now, his own people are saying, let's kill David. He's the one that had us out there not doing the right thing. And it says that David is discouraged, but he encouraged himself in the Lord. And I think that's where, when I got to that place, it's like, okay, God, I am, I'm kind of discouraged. And I felt like God just said, start recounting the things I've done in your life. And I'm in my prayer room and I start saying, well, there was this. And then it reminded me of something even a little bit further back. And then, oh yeah, and how you opened me up. I wasn't from a religious family, but you saved my buddy. And then because of that, 
And this other guy, I started reading the Bible. God, thank you for that. And then there was this circumstance and that circumstance. And I started, by the time I came out of there, I mean, I was like Superman. Ah, yeah, that's right. God is the victor. It's like prayer was not about just going in and asking God. I'm bored, God. I don't have this, God. I need a wife. You know this already. It's like I encouraged myself in the Lord, partly with thanksgiving, with saying, God, thank you for what you did here. Thank you for this. And as I started to do it, oh, man, it's like, is it Psalm 149 or 148 that says, with the high praises of God in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hand, it talks about establishing against our enemies the written judgments. The things already spoken against them. And as I began to speak praise to God and thanks to God for what he had done, oh man, something is breaking. Something's happening. That's why worship is so important. We come in, we get our eyes focused on him, and we declare his glory. He already knows it. I mean, I think at times we're singing songs saying, God, you're this, you're that. Well, God knows it, but I'm reminding me of it and us of it, right? He knows what he is, but... We come and say, God, you're eternal. And he goes, oh, yeah, I never thought of that. He knows it. But we remember, wait a minute, that's right, our God's on the throne. That's right. Claudia saying to her family, you know, you watch and see how God provides. That is a faith declaration saying, my God has done it before. He's going to do it again. I wonder if it's like Moses, you know, like standing saying, Trust him. You know, here come the Egyptians. We're at the Red Sea. He says to his people, trust and see what the Lord, see the Lord's salvation today. And then I wonder if he stood at the edge of the water. I hope this works. (laughs) You know, something, you know. You know, he didn't. Why did I say it so loud? (laughs) I should have just thought it and tried it. No, we speak it out. It's good to pray with thanksgiving. Speak, actually give voice to it. Let yourself hear yourself. Give thanks to God. God, thank you for the forgiveness of sins. I thanked him for that a million times. Well, I'm going to thank him a million more times because they were real and sin brings death. And he forgave my sin, so my death sentence has been uh, thrown off. Praise God. Devote yourselves to prayer Keeping alert in it. He has been telling them, you guys be alert for all of these things that are coming to take your faith away and get your eyes off Jesus. Now he says, go to the source. Here's the best place to keep alert in prayer with God, being with God, keeping company with God. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it. It's like, hey, wait a minute, I've been praying. I'm alert so when the enemy comes, I'm aware. Hey, wait a minute, that doesn't fit. That doesn't fit. I'm not going to buy into that. I'm spiritually attuned. I'm filled with the Spirit. Praying, and then he says, this is the personal application. Then he says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open to us a door for the Word. So that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. He doesn't say, hey, pray for me to get out of jail. Pray for this, pray... Man, this guy is focused on the mission. Pray for us as well that God might open up a door for greater ministry than we've had up till now. Paul has got this view. It's like, devote yourselves to prayer. You'll need this to stay 
faithful to Christ. Pray for us too that we might even declare with clarity the gospel so that more people can come to put their eyes on Jesus. You get yours on him. Keep going back to him and pray for us that we can help others see him. And I love that Paul, after all these years of preaching the gospel, doesn't just have a stock response for everybody where you'd think he knows how to preach the gospel, but he says, pray that we can make it clear. He knows that they need the grace of God, the anointing of God to speak the gospel so that it gets behind people's defenses, that it gets into people's hearts, that it gets into their brains, that they can understand and see like it presents in, I think it's Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. They sow it here, they sow it here, they sow it here. The ones where it's fruitful, it says, they sowed it. Those who heard the word of the kingdom and understood it They bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. It's like, it doesn't do them any good if they hear it and just think, oh, that's really inspirational. But it doesn't make any sense. No, pray that we can make it clear. Then when people hear it, they go, oh, is that why Jesus died on the cross? Is that what that's about? Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I need to... I need sin forgiven, and wait, he paid for my sin. Oh, I thought it was just, you know, he set a good example for us of somebody, you know, completely sold out to the cause or something. No, he died in your place to forgive your sin. And here Paul is saying, pray that the door will open up for the word to go everywhere, all over the place. He even knows he's either in Rome or on his way to Rome. He's hoping, I think, right at the heart of the beast. And I don't mean that in a, an apocalyptic sense, the, the, the beast. But in Rome, that would be like saying right in the center of Washington, D.C. or New York City, this influential place that the gospel would be made clear. He's going there. And he wants the gospel to penetrate right at this, at this core place so that the mission goes forward. He's been speaking to the church, writing to the people of God, telling them how to keep faithful to Christ. But his focus is also, there's a mission. We're the people of God, but we have a mission to accomplish. We're we're part of the family, and we're part of the family business. God the Father wants this gospel to go out to the ends of the earth that every person would hear and have that opportunity to respond. And so then, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Verse 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Devote yourselves, conduct yourselves. He, here he's speaking about, and he, he carries on, making the most of the opportunity, let your speech be with grace. How many have ever heard this statement? I've, I've heard that it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I've never looked back to see if that's actually so. Always preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. I, I know it is trying to be what they're saying in that, and there's a good element to it. But it's also, there's an element that is not true. If necessary, use words. It is necessary to use words. Nobody's going to just look at your lifestyle knowing nothing about you, having heard nothing, and say, I need Jesus. 
Well, if they know you're a Christian, maybe, if they've heard the gospel, maybe, but just looking, you know, go to, to some place, you know, far away, and they see, oh, wow, that person really conducts themselves upright. I need to get, I need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. No, words are necessary. And he says, let your speech be with grace. Words are necessary. But he says, the other side of that, where that statement is true, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Walk in such a way that it is in line with the gospel you preach. Conduct yourselves. Pay attention to your behavior for the outside world, for the watching world. Uh, It sounds kind of exclusive, doesn't it, to outsiders. We would never say, Ryan comes up leading the service, uh, you know, want to welcome all of you, those that are part of the church, and you outsiders. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, you know, it's like newcomers, guests, uh, whatever we would use, we wouldn't call people outsiders. But the reality is, Paul's favorite phrase through all of his letters is in Christ. There are people in Christ and there are people, if we're being honest, that are not in Christ. So saying outsiders is accurate and someone might think, well, that sounds kind of exclusionary or exclusive. Well, it would if it wasn't that his whole mission is to make a way for outsiders to come in. And that's what, we're, that's what the Great Commission is all about. Don't even just wait for outsiders to come in. Go to them. Go to all the nations. Make disciples of every nation. Go get them and bring them in. That's the whole thing of the parable of the wedding feast. Go to the highways, byways, all these places, and invite Amen. them in. So he's saying, conduct yourselves with wisdom Toward outsiders. Let your speech always be with grace. Seasoned as it were with salt. They say this about salt. That it, it actually brings out the flavor of something. It's not that the gospel is tasteless. It has flavor. But our speech seasoned with grace. Or our speech with grace is seasoning it like salt does to food. It actually brings out the flavor of the food. It isn't that that's all we taste. And the the gospel, our speech with grace, is not to give make the gospel more palatable because it's actually not palatable. No, it is. Amen. It's just our speech makes it attractive. So if we're using terms with outsiders like... You know, if we're just saying, well, you know, you're just a dirty, rotten sinner, so you better get saved. <laughs> you know, How likely is that person to say, oh, yeah, thanks. It sounds really good. Yeah, I want that. Yeah. No, we need to use grace. Jesus is our great example, right? Christ is our example of speech seasoned with grace. Always speaking graciously, but not compromisingly. Grace doesn't mean... All I do is, all I ever do is affirm and say, oh yeah, no, really, you know, Mary Magdalene, it says seven demons were cast out of her and Jesus says, oh no, really, you know, it's okay, you're, you're good just like you are. No! Mary Magdalene's testimony is a great one. She's the first person that saw Jesus resurrected. That's pretty glorious. And it says, 
for all the world to know, Mary, out of whom went seven demons. Gee, thanks for, you know, putting my stuff all out there for everybody to know. But the glory is, she got delivered of seven demons. Jesus' speech to her was gracious. He didn't just say, oh, no, Mary, it's okay. Don't worry about it. No, he saw the devil working in her life and cast out the enemy. Didn't let him continue to do that. So Mary has this glorious testimony. She was so close to him because he was gracious to her. And he told the truth. Grace means, doesn't mean just, uh, you know, pleasant with no edge to it. Sharpness. It, grace means you bring the truth with the, the favor, the merit of God's, uh, the, the unearned favor of God in that speech to bring her forward into her destiny and bring us forward out of our sin into the glory of Christ Amen. that he has for us. Yep. Amen. Father, yep. thank you, thank you for this word in all of it, God. We want to draw close to you. We thank you for Paul and for leaders in the body of Christ who would speak the truth. And in the end, we know we need to go to the source ourselves, that no one can do that for us. We need to be people who know you firsthand, God. And then with the mission of the body of Christ uh, inherent in these words... I pray today, God, that you'd give us that stirring for outsiders to remember you want us to live in such a way that it brings glory to the name of Jesus and then to speak words that bring glory to Jesus so that others can come in and not remain on the outside, God. God, help us in that. Help us in it, Lord. I pray that you'd bless the people in this room with a fresh grace to pray, to give some of their day, some of their time, more of their uh, mental energy and their effort to getting close to you and keeping company with you, God. When that means requesting things, when that means thanksgiving, when that means just waiting in your presence quietly for what you want to say, God. Bless your people with a fresh grace to keep company with you in Jesus' name. And bless this week that we're heading into this um, called Passion Week, God, where the suffering of Christ is is foremost and the resurrection of Jesus. God, bless us in this time. I pray, Lord, that the gospel would uh, really become clearer and clearer in each of us. And in all those right now who are celebrating Easter in this week that we're heading into, God. We pray for the gospel to go far and wide, to be made uh, known, to be heard by those who haven't heard it yet or understood it, God. Bless your people now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.